DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Mark, or it's Mark. We are joined now by Mike Vorkanov from The Athletic. He covers the New York Knicks. And Mike, I was so focused on your last name, I screwed up your first name. How about that? Mike's a tough one. I get it. Uh, all right, so uh, it's kind of a unique situation with the Jazz playing back-to-back nights in the Big Apple, so you might be a little more up to speed on what happened with the Jazz and the Nets than the average beat rider. That was horrible. Uh, what should the Jazz expect from the Knicks tonight? Uh, well, I mean, they won't have the same firepower as the Nets, but uh, the Knicks have been playing pretty well this season. You know, they're they're uh, pretty well coached by Tom Thibodeau. It's really a much different team than the last time Jazz faced them last season. I think they went to MSG in March, uh, right before the world shut down. And the Knicks, are uh, they've almost done a 180-degree change under Tom Thibodeau and just how, I don't know, how confident uh, they are. I guess that's what Jazz should expect. It's just kind of a well-coached team. Uh, that'll try to grind you out for the whole game. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. You know, they're 4-3, a couple wins in a row. You look at their leaders, a guy like Julius Randle who's actually leading them in rebounds, assists, and scoring, and you put him in there. Still somewhat of a young player, certainly. Then you throw in Peyton, Austin Rivers. Uh, Rivers has been in and out. But the, a couple of guys that have been around a little bit and changed teams are they why do they seem to be playing as well as they've ever played in this league under Thibodeau? You know, like I, I don't, I don't like to do the whole like praise the coach all the time type of thing, but it's hard to really point to anything that's been different this year as opposed to last year, other than Tom Thibodeau taking over, and everyone just seems to have bought in, and everything is just crisper and better. You know, you talk about Julius Randle, like he's on his uh, his third team, right? Last year in New York was up and down. And this year, he's, uh, he's really kind of embraced and become efficient in this point-forward role. The offense runs through him, um, and it's really working. He's averaging you know, 7.2 assists. He's a nightly triple-double threat now, which was a crazy thought, if you were going to say that, coming into the season. Um, and, and it's just, you know, everything seems to be working right now. Like, they're not a good team necessarily. Their offense is still ranked 24th in the league. But they're able to have these possessions and these quarters and halves now where they're competitive with teams like the Pacers and, uh, you know, and like 76ers and some of the other teams they play this year. So Alec Burks, former jazz man, is with the Knicks now. Uh, he's only played three games. He's been hurt 20 points a game. You know, they're, they're actually, this might surprise you, but there are a lot of people here who really, he just, he caught their imagination and they really like him. But it never seemed like it was going in this direction. Now, three games is a very small sample size. Very small. But what's clicking for him? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect it from Alex Burks, I'll be honest. Um, he, they gave him kind of his uh, a six-man role where he came off the bench and they got to run the offense through him. And it, it's wor- it was working really well. You know, he's missed uh, the last four games with an injury. I think he's questionable to play tonight. But they kind of put the ball in his hands and let him create, and he was just shooting well from three. He was, you know, playing well off the pick and roll, and, you know, just kind of in the situation where he was allowed to score and, and go and create and play make, and he was efficient in it. And I don't think he's going to average 20 points for the season, but I, I have been surprised by kind of his offensive prowess and just how well he's been in that role. Do the Knicks have anybody who can really deter the Jazz from getting to the rim? Uh, yeah, Mitchell Robinson is, uh, I would say he's one of the league's best shot blockers, and he's, he's improved in kind of his uh, coverage and his anchoring 
uh, of a defense this year. He's, you know, kind of <laughs> maybe like a, a poor man's Rudy Gobert, uh, if you want to put a comparison to it. So when you watch the Knicks, how much is the ball in Randall's hand? I mean, I, I don't the if you if you followed him, the scoring, the rebounding, that maybe it's a little on the high side. It doesn't seem outrageous at twenty two and eleven. Maybe on the high side, but the seven and a half assists a game that number that number got me. Yeah, I mean that's been wild. He's doubled his assist rate from last season. Doubled his assists per game. Uh, the funny thing is, you know, the ball is probably in his hands just as much as it was last as it was last year, but it's kind of just getting in and out of there much quicker. He's you know last year it was very very frequent to see him dribble and dribble and dribble and just kind of get into triple teams and turnovers and bad situations. This year it's coming in, it's coming out. He's keeping the ball moving. Uh, his usage rate is actually lower than than it was last year too. Uh, and yet all of his numbers are up. So the offense runs through him, but it doesn't die in his hands. R.J. Barrett, man, got a lot of athletic ability. Uh, he's able now, been in the league a little bit, be able to channel it in the positive direction. Statistically, it looks like he is. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, the jump shot is still a question for him. Uh, I think he's shooting 40% from the floor. His three-point numbers are... Uh, pretty ugly, I would say, but he's he's really taken some strides this year in the second season, just kind of creating off the dribble, and he's coming closer to what people thought he might be coming out of Duke. He was the number three pick in the uh, the 2019 draft, and it's interesting to see what he might still become, but you see little signs of progress for him. You know, for Donovan Mitchell, this this is home, and he had not been shooting the ball well this year, not at all. The percentages have been very low, both from three and just in general from the floor, but it looked like he was heating up a little bit against the Nets. How are the Knicks going to defend him? Who are they going to put on him? What are they going to do? Because, you know, guys go back home, they want to have big games. Yeah, I think he's had a couple of big games in New York, too. I, probably Reggie Bullock will get the assignment to start out. He's kind He's their wing defender in the starting lineup. Maybe R.J. Barrett gives him uh, a look early on, too, just kind of on the wing there. And I, I'd expect the Knicks to, to throw a bunch of, uh, of defenders at him. You know, it's, Donovan Mitchell's not really a player you're going you're gonna to stop with one guy. So I, I assume they'll try to, you know, double-team him off pick and roll and those types of things. But I, I would guess Reggie Bullock gets that chance uh, to start the game. We've seen so many teams, and the Knicks fall into it. You can put it in the colleges, too, where they've been down for a while, and then they just change coaches every few years. Texas football is doing it right now. We know that. Uh, what makes someone think that the Knicks have found something here with Thibodeau and are not two or three years later going to be introducing yet another coach? Well, I'd say there's no guarantee that that, that that won't happen again if you look at the history of the Knicks. And, you know, it has been just seven games with Tom Thibodeau. Uh, but I, I guess if you're looking for the optimistic side of it, it's, you know, this year they kind of play a little bit better. They're uh, not necessarily going to be a playoff team, but maybe they compete for that 10 spot that you get into that playing tournament they have this year. Um, and then basically they just have to load up the talent. You know, the coach can be good and all that, but the Knicks have had problems for the last two decades because they haven't had the talent to be a good team, and that's how the coach gets fired. So, you know, if they, they hit in the lottery uh, whenever the, the lottery is this offseason, whenever this offseason is, um, and they keep accumulating talent, I, I think that's the path to Tom Thibodeau having the long stay in New York is just giving them good players to work with. 
You know, from a distance, he looks like a really intense guy, which can lead to some early success but burnout over the long run. Do you think he's going to carry himself any different in this job than he has in previous jobs? Or is uh, the guy we've seen the guy the Knicks are going to get? No, I, I think Tibbs is Tibbs. Uh, <laughs> I think that's why he got hired. You know, the guy who hired him, Leon Rose, uh, was his agent for like 20 years, World Wide West, uh, and Tom Thibodeau have a long-standing relationship. The, the people who hired him know exactly who he is. And maybe, you know, he'll change on the edges, on the margins. But, you know, he's 62 years old. I think you're pretty much, uh, you know, well-developed by then. So I, he, he always adapts because he's a smart guy, but I don't think he's going to have any kind of wholesale changes. We know in the New York area, an area which I grew up, the, the, the uh, Mets and uh, Yankees had a big rivalry. Now with the uh, Nets in town r- across the river and with the arena and with the big-name coach and a couple big-name players, how's the market handling the rivalry, if there's any, between the Nets and the Knicks? Uh, I, yeah, I struggle to say there's much of a rivalry. Uh, the Nets are, I think, still more of a national team, especially right now with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving than they are, you know, a locally beloved one. They're still trying to, you know, build up their fan base, all the people who root for them. And New York City is a Knicks team, and I think that's clear in, like, all the metrics and the people who care about the two teams. So that's interesting when you put two teams in a market. And in multiple sports, I think we can see the team that got there first is the team, and the second team really isn't close. Maybe they have 20% of the market, maybe they have 30, but they don't get anywhere near a 50-50 split. Are there any teams in New York that are 50-50, or is it all kind of an 80-20, kind of thing, you know, the Jets and Giants' fan base or, or the Mets and Yankees? I, I think the, the Mets and Yankees are pretty close. You know, the Yankees have had a lot more success than the Mets have, but the, the Mets have a rabid and large fan base. Uh, the Giants and Jets, you know, it's probably more Giants than Jets fans, but even that, even those teams, you know, it's a little bit more uh, provincial. The Jets were on, you know, in Long Island, a different part of New York City. Same thing with, uh, with say, like the Islanders and the Rangers. But, it's you know, I can see the Nets becoming more popular and it getting, you know, the, a little bit closer in terms of the size of the fan base, but it'll take time. You know, they got to Brooklyn in, I think, 2012, and, and the Knicks have just ruled New York uh, – I don't know, for, for over 60 years now at this point. So, Mike, you list your uh, on your Twitter your location is Hoboken, New Jersey. Are you the second most famous guy to come out of Hoboken, with, of course, Frank being number one? I mean, I'll take it. Uh, I, if somebody <laughs> wants to say that, I'll definitely take it. I don't know if they'll be hanging photos of me enshrines to me in Hoboken like they do with Frank Sinatra who's you know somehow still you know omnipresent despite being dead for 20 years uh but if someone wants to throw that out there I, I won't mind <laughs> just wear it why not <laughs> oh man so you're uh the Jazz are going to play a bunch of eastern teams here on this road trip and I'm curious how you see the best in the east stacking up you can make cases for at least three or four teams, and maybe you can make cases for five or six. Who do you make a case for? Uh, I, I tend to say the Nets, uh, just because I think their top end offensively, I think, is better than anyone else's with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Like, if those two guys have it working, I, I just don't know who can score with them. You saw that last night, too, and that was without Kevin Durant. Um, but I, the Sixers have been really good this year. I, I know the Bucks have had kind of like an up-and-down type of season to start, but 
I'd like to see how they click with Giannis and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton this year. But there's so many good teams. You know, the Pacers are pretty good, too. And uh, the Heat obviously went to the finals. But to me, it's, it's kind of the Nets and the favorites right now. Man, it's just stunning to hear Boston not even mentioned. And you're not the first oh, person. Oh, yeah, well, Boston, too, <laughs> but they have their own problems. Right. I think, you know, until Kemba comes back, like, I don't know what they are. Well, Mike, we appreciate it for a few minutes. Thanks for hopping on the air with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. He's a Knicks beat writer for The Athletic. Mike Vork- Vorkanov, join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So, there it is, PK, the Knicks. A team that has got uh, not much in the way of expectations. They got a, a fresh voice in the locker room, giving guys roles, a little belief in themselves, maybe. And okay, they're not great, but they're decent. And in the NBA, when you got talent and you're decent on any given night, you're a problem. Oh, I'd agree with that. Yeah, uh, the, decent is what they're striving for. You know, they're the original team of my youth, and and when he talks about the Knicks being the dominant team. Most definitely, man. Everything was about, when it came to basketball, everything was about the Knicks. And in that area, actually, college basketball had a little higher profile than college football did when I was back there. And uh, basketball was very, very big. And the Knicks were where it was at. But yet they've sucked for so long. My gosh. It's unbelievable how long they've been down. And so if you can find a level of decency, which, you know, is defined by like 500, I would think, that uh, you're going to get people excited. At least you got a starting point. And you look at Julius Randle now, only 26 years old, uh, but his third team, been bounced around, hasn't really found a home. Maybe Thibodeau has found something right now. You know, he's he's not very athletic. He's not going to be a high-flyer dunk kind of guy in your face block shots but he's playing well now and if i'm the knicks i'm thinking geez jazz i mean i just saw what they did uh last night and they just rolled over and played dead this is a chance to go to five and three uh if you're from the knick perspective so you ought to be jacked about this this isn't the lakers here uh, this is a team that we feel like we should beat and that's probably half the battle that's why I'm interested, you know, Jerry Sloan, see how you respond type of thing. There's legends in our community, and their messages ring in my ears and will mm-hmm. forever ring in my ears. Yeah. Majerus is one. Jerry Sloan is one. And we know them. They're out there. And certainly Jerry Sloan, the, the messages that he sent, you know exactly what he would have said in this situation here. And I want to see how these guys respond because Monday night in, Bar- uh, in Brooklyn was just awful. Just no, you can't argue that. I mean, we would be, we all want them to win. That's no question about that. But we've got to have some semblance of truth, and we can't spin it any other way. There's zero way to spin it that that you took anything positive out of that. And I'm excited for them to have a game so soon because that was just brutal. And now you got this opportunity. But at the same time, the Knicks are thinking, "Hey, man, this team is imminently beatable." Five and three is pretty good. I think most Knicks fans, after eight games, you said he got shot to be five and three. You probably think, yeah, that's pretty good for us. Uh, see what we got here, and maybe we got something a little bit different. And maybe it is just Thibodeau coming in here and mattering. You know, coaches do matter. A talent, Kyle Whittingham, you know, it's all about recruiting. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. You got to have the talent. There's no question about that. And the Knicks don't have the talent to win it all, but we're looking, asking for Thibodeau to make the franchise respectable. And can coaching make a difference there? 
Well, so far it has. It's just a handful of games, basically. But so far, yes. And the belief in the Knicks as they take the floor tonight should be as high as any game that they've had as far as their ability to win. Well, it'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, with Randall. I, you know, he always seemed like a guy who was uh, playing in the wrong generation. I was I always thought there were some Al Jefferson comparisons there. You know, he's really efficient inside, but it's like you say, he's not that athletic and he's not that big. So the Jazz ought to be able to handle him. But he had, it looks like he's another another guy who's got some size. So you don't think of as a three point shooter who's trying to add that shot, and he's shooting forty percent from three this year. And he has nights, it goes, and then he has 0 for 5s. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what they're going to see from him, but there's uh, a little bit, This is he, he's a poor man's, and maybe a very poor man's, you know, but to what degree is he a very poor man's Nikola Jokic? Now, he's not going to be the 5, so it's not a perfect comparison, but man, 7 assists a game, they're running a lot of stuff through him. They're counting him a lot. 22 and 11, those are pretty good numbers. 22, 11, and 7? Well, the seven is the one that jumps out at you the most, Yeah, actually. Somebody has to score and somebody has to get rebounds on every team. It's just the way it is. You have to have that. But to have him have almost seven and a half assists, that's pretty impressive uh, as far as what he's doing with the basketball. So that's something that I'm interested to see. Now, the other guy has to make the shot. You can make the greatest pass in the world, and the other guy's got to make the shot. Uh, But right now... Uh, Julius Randle, I would assume, I don't follow him day to day, but I'd have to think, I follow him enough to know he's playing the best that he's ever played professionally and probably in his life. Yeah. Well, the thing is uh, that they won't have to put Gobert on him, right? He's probably going to be matched no. up with somebody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're going to have a shot blocker on the floor. If they if they try to force a lineup out there, then they don't have any rim protection and the Jazz ought to go nuts offensively. So it's not it's not a perfect comparison, but... He is a bigger guy, and those are, uh, those are some eye-popping numbers when you see him. And, you know, we can talk about all of this, but if the Jazz come out the way they came out last night, it's not going to matter. Whoever's out there for the Knicks will beat them if they come out like they came out last night. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tim McComb, Jazz Radio Analyst, former BYU and Utah basketball staffer, is going to join us at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Zach Wilson, former BYU quarterback, take us to that decision process to forego your senior year and jump into the NFL and pursue the dream that you've had since you were little. It was really going back and forth with, uh, you know, the pros and cons of everything. You know, I I talked to Coach A-Rod and, you know, he gave me his personal thoughts on everything and then it was kind of, you know, you're going to go back and forth with every single pro and con about staying or going and and he goes, eventually you just got to come down to the point of, you know, the opportunity will be there. So you just got to do what your heart is feeling and, and what your gut is saying. And so really that's what it came down for me. You know, we listened to what information we were gathering from agents or GNs or scouts. And really, I think it just came down to the opportunity I felt, you know, was going to be in place for this next year. And so if I decided to take it and, and bet on myself and, and hope for the best. Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at The Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, you want me to say boom? I'll say boom. Boom! Jazz need to lower the boom tonight on the on the Knicks. Need a bounce back game after that thing, whatever that was. After that disaster debacle, pick your favorite word. 
Yeah, I agree with you. All I got to say is a woman. <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> oh, man. You're just going to ride that all day, aren't you? I, I, well, Dave, I'm inclusive. I just don't know what to tell you. But there it is. There it is. You I mean, are I know inclusive. you're out there in your old-fashioned ways. <laughs> well, so be it. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we got uh, we got multiple stories uh, we're working on this morning. Uh, we just talked with uh, Mike Vornikov, the beat writer for the Knicks. Uh, Alec Burke's questionable tonight, so he's not going to go. Jazz and the Knicks. The Jazz need to bounce back after whatever that was they did against the Nets. Just get just get crushed, uh, twenty to four in the opening six minutes, and then there's no uh, no bounce back ability. No getting back into the game. No run. No life. No. And so uh, now, who's it going to be? Well, I guess it better be Donovan and Rudy, right? They've been identified as the guys. So you were talking earlier this morning about the coaches leading, but hey, the players have to do this. I mean, you can you can talk until you're blue in the face, but the players are either going to take care of the ball or not. They're either going to stop these transition fast breaks or they're not. If it's another series of layup drills tonight for the Knicks, then it's going to look the same way. I mean, it's got to be different. It has to be. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I want to see more emotion. I basically want to see more of everything. And just yell at the referee or something. I mean, just do something. (laughs) Joe, that's that's your role. Joe, Joe, you handle that. Whatever it might be, you know, I, I, I'm not one to just get yourself kicked out or what have you. If the coach wants to do that, that's his uh, prerogative. We've seen that over time, coaches intentionally getting technicals and all that stuff to, to get their guys fired up. Uh, so I wouldn't the, – the players, I'm not one for doing a whole lot of yakking uh, – you just got to play through it all. I guarantee, I don't know when, but there's going to be bad calls. But anyway, the point being, show some more emotion. Do something, man. Get you know this this whole thing of uh, the Utah or BYU likes to talk about best locker room in America, mm-hmm. and that that's that's great. That's that's a nice saying. But at the same time, you know, and the Jazz talk about the camaraderie that they have and guys love each other and the fans really get off on that. They want them to be best buddies and everything is good, especially in small markets. It seems to matter more. And I'm wondering, you know, that's great. And you want that. You want guys to enjoy each other's company. You're together all the time. I understand all that, but I'm wondering if that could be a little bit of a detriment because are you reluctant to uh, jump on guys and, uh, you know, maybe some friction can lead to better play because the whole goal here is about winning and you want to win virtually at any cost within the bounds of reason. And what I mean by that, you don't want, remember, what was it? I don't remember how many years ago, but they used to call them the jail blazers. Yeah. Portland was having all that about kind of two, stuff. About 2000, because they, com- they competed with the Shaq Kobe and couldn't get yeah. past those guys. And, and you, so you don't want a bunch of screw-offs running around, besmirching your community, particularly in a smaller community, which obviously we have here and the standards being what they are. So I'm not saying that. But do I really care if they are best buddies if they're not winning? No. Whereas (laughs) if they are winning, do I care that they're not best buddies? Now, I don't want a bunch of guys breaking the law. I'm not saying that. Well, if if it adds to the story, that's great, but it's not the core of the story. The core of the story is winning. Yes. 
You know, Majerus used to talk about how life in the NBA was, you know, you go out and there's 12 different cabs. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, but if you're winning the title and you got 12 different cabs, do the fans really care? Do you really care that they are best friends and whatnot? I don't. To me, it's about winning. And if you're winning and you're going deep into the postseason, I don't really care that you're best friends. Now, if you want to be friends, that's great. And at some level, you have to at least have working relationships. And we we get that. And I think that at least when you put it out on the floor, you've got to have a working professional relationship. Uh, you don't. You can't be at each other's throats. Uh, so there's extremes there. And I'm just wondering all this uh, we're best bud stuff. If it works against them as far as uh, Conley didn't or um, Gobert didn't get back down the floor, and Harpering picked up on it right away, instantly said it, and you saw Conley say something to him. Well, maybe yeah, say something to him, and maybe use some choice words and whatnot. You got a job, man, and your most valuable job for us, speaking of Gobert, not to pick on him individually, because I don't think it's an individual problem, it's a collective problem, has to be solved individually, but you know, your job here is to get back and defend this rim. That's your number one gig. That's why you're going to make all those millions of dollars, and so if you thought you got fouled and they didn't call it, well, we've already heard the GM talk about that. And so knock that to crap off. If they score, they score. But you got to give maximum effort. And Harpering picked up on it immediately, and you saw Conley say to Gobert, and I'm not a professional lip reader, but it seemed to me he said, you got to get back. And that's just one instance. I'm just talking one instance. I'm not blowing it up as that's the reason why they lost by any stretch. But I'm saying hold each other accountable, even if it sometimes gets a little uncomfortable. Well, losing like that ought to be uncomfortable. So everyone ought to be uncomfortable. And the thing is, if you really have that good a relationship, if people are really that tight, then you can talk those truths, and people just know it's the truth when they hear it. And you shouldn't even necessarily have to get that upset. If you're that tight, it's because you, in part because you see a lot of things the same way. And you can just say, this has got to change. This has got, this has got to change. You know, and if you're really that tight and you see stuff from the same perspective, you're going to realize it. And that's the beautiful thing about losing the way they lost. When you lose to the Suns or when you barely beat Oklahoma City, uh, you know, the scoreboard, you can talk yourself into stuff. You know, eh, we need to do this. We need to do that. It wasn't that bad, whatever. But when you play like they did against Minnesota at home and when you play like this game, there ought to be no debate. It really shouldn't need to be much said. Uh, and. You probably still have to say, I mean, you can't sit there in total silence, so I guess guys have to say something, (laughs) you know, but it's kind of like you were down 20 to four and you lost by 30 whatever points, Uh, 34. You lost by 34. You you were down by 16 after four minutes. You were never within single digits. Eh, Come on. We all know what's going on here. We don't need to debate this. You know, this blows and you need you need a good response now. And the thing is, you don't just need a good response. I'm actually more confident in the short term, in the good response, I would think they come out and play hard and play pretty well against the Knicks tonight. But on this road trip, are they going to lay another egg or two? Yeah, I would worry about that. Because this has happened more than once already, and we're only seven games in. And that's why yesterday I was, uh, with my soft Southern California mentality, I was ready to sign off on 4-2 and for the rest of the trip. 
in part because, hey, they're probably going to, the Jazz can lay an egg or two here, and they've got some good teams, at least decent to good teams on this trip, and they play well. You know, you play in the Bucks, and the Bucks play well, you can play well, and you can lose to the Bucks. You know, so you've got one or two of those in there. If you're going to give away one or two, well, you better take four and two and run. Which so they had the Spurs see, already, so it's five and two. Do you see a difference between losing and, as you say, laying an egg? Yes. Okay. Yes. I. I, I mean, I felt sure. they lost to the Suns, and I think they did some stuff poorly in that game. But I also thought they did some stuff well in that game. I think if they had played against the Suns like they played last night. The Suns are now good enough that the Suns had beat them by 34. And they didn't. You know, that was, uh, I never really thought they were going to win it, but they were kind of hanging around. They didn't hang around last night. You know, there was no, there was no run. There was no, so yeah, I see a difference between that Suns loss and this one. And, but, you know, at the same time, if Quinn Snyder walked in and put on a headset and, and started grinding his teeth, I mean, I would get it. You know, there were stretches in the Phoenix game that looked bad. But, it wasn't a 48-minute stretch. Okay, but even still, and I and I agree with you on that as far as the difference, yeah. uh, distinction between the two, but to me, I'm not to the point where tonight, just using tonight now, nothing, no other game, simply and exclusively. Yeah, we lost PK there. God, he took me right to the brink tonight, simply and exclusively. Well, I, I think where he's going is, is this a make-or-break game? You know, and I don't think it is. It's a 72-game season, and you can go back to Stockton and Malone's best years and find stretches like this. You can go back to 97 and 98, and there was an Eastern road trip, and boy, did they suck. <laughs> and it was terrible. But they ended up in the NBA Finals. But at the time, it was crisis mode. Stockton's lost it. He can't defend the pick and roll. The truth is, I don't know, maybe Carl picked up an injury. Maybe he just got burned out with 82 games. And he just had a stretch he didn't play well. And then he got back into a stretch where he played well. And guess what? They were defending the pick and roll. They were beating teams. And they were going to the NBA Finals. So... I get that stuff happens over the course of a long season. And this isn't the full season, but it's still a pretty long season. The games will come just as fast. There isn't, there isn't downtime. There isn't time to breathe. There isn't time to practice. There will be very few practices. Quinn is basically doing away with shoot-arounds. I mean, I won't say that they've killed every shoot-around this year, but they've had some scheduled and then wiped them out, and they've had some that just simply weren't scheduled in the first place. You know, so this is going to be a long season. It's not going to be the 82, but it's going to be a grind. And they can, uh, you know, they can have these stretches where they're in and out and then get it together and have a great year. But I don't want to count on that. I don't think anybody wants to count on that. You can't just sit back now and say, uh, it'll be fine. It well could be fine. But there's got to be a little sense of urgency tonight. As I was saying. Yes. That was a uh, human error my big freaking knee. Hit the cord. That was not. Uh, <laughs> I did that. I did that in an edit bay. I knocked an edit bay offline. <laughs> How'd I do that? Well, you kick the power cord. That'll do it. <laughs> That's exactly what I just did. So that was not a technical glitch. That was a PK idiot move. So now I'm sitting straight. I'm not moving, and we're good to go. I've so always no worried about your posture, PK. I've always yeah, well, worried. Well, I had poor posture there, and my freaking right knee hit the cord, and it went out. So that was on anyway. Me and it won't won't happen again. I'm not to the point tonight, exclusively tonight, 
or I can accept, well, they played a lot better and rationalize. This is still the Knicks. You are still the Jazz. We have you better than the Knicks under any circumstance. 50, 72, 82, we have you better than the Knicks. Compounded with the way you played last night, to me, the only acceptable result is a win. I'm going to have a hard time coming in tomorrow saying, well, yeah, they played better. Uh, (laughs) No, because that's a team that you don't have that much expectation for. That would be what I would say for the Knicks, because the Knicks on the ladder of where everybody wants to move up, well, the Knicks have a much lower starting point than the Jazz. Yeah, the Jazz want to move up, but the Knicks are looking up on that ladder on the Jazz. So to me... I'm going to have a real hard time saying, yeah, they played better as if that's good enough. No. They need to win. I mean, yeah. they, want to be, they want to be a team that goes deep in the playoffs. Well, get out of the 4-5 series because you're just uh-huh. lining up. I mean, it's early, but guess who's in first place? Guess who's 6-2 and two top of the West now? It's the Lakers. Now, I get you want to test yourself against the Lakers in the playoffs, but I bet you get deeper into your playoffs and test yourself against them in the Western Final. Get into the second or third spot. And that is not – I get it's difficult, and I get the West is deep, but the Jazz are good enough. That is not an unrealistic expectation. That is not an unrealistic goal. Get in that 2-3 series. You know, it, I, and you could be right. three and, you know, you might not have home court, but what is home court really going to be worth this year if there's no fans or limited fans? So, you know, I, get I, into I, a 2 3 series. Postseason, any, I have home court in a postseason, which is, I mean, you want it. Uh, but you don't have to games, have it. Right. Game seven is the one that I, that I, you really want it. The, I, I really want it. But other than that, you know, a lot of right. these things don't even go that way. But yeah, the, if I look at it, the three seed. I I gotta believe that that's within the realm, and and at the same by the same token, if I can't accept anything less than a W tonight, if they play crappy and still win, well, I gotta go with my theory on the other side of it too. I can't say yeah, but they were lucky this and that. Nope, no. So if, if it's I'm an Oklahoma go, City win, if it's an Oklahoma City, I don't win, care. You don't care. I don't care. Just get a nope. W, baby. I don't care what yeah. it looks like. You go two one on this trip, and and what do they got? Today's uh, Wednesday, and then they're off Friday. Who they got Friday? They're off Thursday. Today's Wednesday. They're off tomorrow, yeah. and they play the Bucks yeah. in Milwaukee on Friday. Right. Okay. So that's going to be tough. And then you're off Saturday. Who you got? Detroit, Detroit on, Sunday. on Sunday. Yeah. That's not going to be tough. You should yeah. be able to win that thing. Yep. And then they got a back to back to wrap it up with Cleveland and Washington on Tuesday and Wednesday. And we'll see about. Let, let's check back. I yeah. mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but yeah, I want to see a win tonight. And I don't want to have to rationalize. And if they win ugly, I'm not going to rationalize. And if they lose and play well, I'm not going to rationalize that either. Well, Donovan Mitchell, rally the troops, big guy. Make the magic happen. He's home. I think that stuff matters. I know you're supposed to be up for every game, but people are human. And he just had his first 30-point game of the year, and it was in New York. Huh, who knew? Oh, every time I go back to the Garden, it just reminds me of my childhood. I come alive, and wow, man, it (laughs) happens big time. All right, DJ and PK, uh, the football news of the morning. We will get to that next. And PK, taking the long view. We'll get to that next. Tim Lacombe, jazz radio analyst, former BYU and Utah basketball staffer. He's coming up in 15 minutes. Stay with us. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal.
with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. I'll tell you this. I once went on a vacation away from my girlfriend, and I really missed her. And I was in a really good place. Really good place to find. It may have been an island somewhere. How old were you? I was in my early 20s. So you were taking paradise vacations to random islands in your early 20s, while the rest of us are taking every nickel we can out of the couch cushion to go buy food? You're well, off no. to Tahiti? No, I was working. I, I, I had, you know, I went there to, you know, help construct something. I'm lying. I'm lying. But that part was a lie. <laughs> yeah, you're but not doing any Habitat for Humanity trips. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Pete Thamel with a story, and little bits of this story have, has come out, but he pushes it forward here. Uh, Pete Thamel, national uh, college football writer, and says that the WAC is going to restart football. It's going to be a combination of Texas and Utah teams. Uh, PK, you've already been bringing up Southern Utah, leaving the big sky, going to the WAC. And you wonder why they do that, because it, it took so long for them to get in the whack and or into the big sky, and they wanted in so badly, and they finally got there after bouncing around without a home and some semi-created conferences of teams that were conveniently left over. And they finally get there, and now they went out. But the idea with the whack is to start as a championship subdivision team, but bump up to the bowl subdivision. And boy, we have not seen that in a while, a league wanting to move up. It used to happen, but that's not something we've seen over the last you know, 20 years or so. Um, we have seen yeah. some teams move up into the Sun Belt to move a whole league together. I'm hoping the Pac-12 can do it. Hey, I see what you did there. That was I did not see that coming, but that was... <laughs> Well, well done. Hey, woman. Hey, hey, that's five. How many do you think you can fit in before the end of the show? And make them fit. You know, you could just throw it out there just to hit a number, but you don't play the game for stats, PK. Never have. Play to win. Exactly. <laughs> so while I'm raising an eyebrow at this, I mean, you're asking this state to support five bowl subdivision teams. And we're not California sitting on, I don't know, 35 million people, whatever they have. We're on our way, though. All those freaking Californians. (laughs) are moving here. All 35 million of them. Well, in that case, we'll be fine. California has seven teams at the bowl subdivision level and three more at the championship level. But for most teams, most schools, uh, you look at Washington, most states, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, all, all have more people in Utah. And they support two bowl subdivision teams. And one championship subdivision. They've all got two Pac-12s and a Big Sky team. So, in attendance, donors, uh, to whatever level, state government's got to support it, you know, with the institution's money and that. Uh, five, when everybody else has two. I mean, Colorado's three, but one's a military academy, so that's, that's a little different. It is. They've got a Big Sky team, and they've got Colorado State and Colorado, and then you throw Air Force in there also. Yeah, but those schools were already there before mm-hmm. the sports. So are, you're acting like, well, we added these schools, and all these schools were already there. Yep. With or without sports, they're already there. Yes. So, and, and you look at it, really what it is, you take Arizona, mm-hmm. right? We all know that. We're familiar with them. There's basically three population bases in the state. So they have schools in all three of those population bases, right? That's what it is. You've got north, uh, the middle, it's a little lower than the middle, and then at the south. 
And so that's how they end up with three. There's no need to put one some in the White Mountains, places you wouldn't know, but the eastern Arizona. They do have junior colleges there uh, and all that stuff. So it's it's sort of divided easier to see that. Where in our state, you know, it's a little bit different here uh, as far as that. But at the same time, in the Phoenix area, they've got way more junior colleges than we have. Well, we got one. Uh, we have two. We got Slick and Snow, right? One playing well, I mean, football. I mean, in the Salt Lake area. Oh, one in the Salt Lake area, yeah. As a, in the valley down there, they've. I can't even count how many junior colleges they have now because they've opened like four or five since I've left, and I'd have to. I've missed somebody unless I had it right in front of me. So they take care of that. We didn't go that route. Uh, you know, if we did, that they would have that. So I think that it's a different situation there okay, as far and, and as that, comparing there, that. There's some truth to that. And and the fact is that St. George and Cedar City are apart from the Wasatch Front. Correct. There's a yes. physical separation. Okay, so let's factor that in, right? But that corner of the state has maybe stretching a quarter of a million people. I don't think it's quite there yet. Washington and Iron County together. Maybe a quarter of a million, uh, probably between two hundred and two hundred fifty thousand. And you're going to ask that that population base to support two teams. That seems like a stretch to me. Well, you know what they should do, and they they won't. I mean, basically, they should. If you're in Nevada, Southern Nevada, mm-hmm. you should get in-state tuition to Dixie. You know what I mean? Yeah, they won't because they haven't been paying taxes. But I, mean, I get your I, point. I, I, I know. How, as far as the yeah. geographic distance, you know, right. it's a two-hour drive. And because you've lived in Arizona and done the two hours from Tucson to Phoenix, and you've lived in L.A. and done two hours across L.A. or two hours down to San Diego or up to Santa Barbara, yeah, it's not that big a deal. And somewhere else, two hours, that would work. And it doesn't here just because of the state line and state taxes. Right. If you live in Logan and want to go to Dixie... Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a long haul. But, I mean, they don't do that, so it's it's yeah. pointless to talk about that. But they can draw from other places beyond that, particularly when you're giving athletic scholarships, obviously, to fill out your rosters. Because if you're, you know, depending on what sport it is, you're going to get 100% of it paid. So that's always a good thing there. But everybody dreams big, you know. Yeah. Everybody wants big time. And whoever you are, you want to move up the ranks. And if I'm Dixie... With the way St. George is, to the point people can argue, growing out of control, even? Yeah. Uh, Sprawling. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's crazy uh, that you, you might want to think, well, it's not about where we are now. It's where we're going and what we could become down the line. And is it possible? What seems far-fetched now in 50 years might seem like a no-brainer. You know, I could kind of get if there were going to be one team down there at the bowl subdivision level, but the two seems like too much. And maybe it won't be. Maybe the growth, and I don't know where the water will come from. I'm sure someone's screaming at the radio about that. And maybe the that'll sky. Maybe all that comes from the sky, from the doesn't sky it? And then into the ground, and then there'll be a Isn't river. Isn't that how it works? And then there'll be a river or a pipe. Uh, 175 on the way to 180,000 people. And we're grateful for the moisture, I might add. Thank you. 175,000 <laughs> to 180,000 people in Washington County.
and another why are your people 55,000 always grateful? Why are you always grateful for the moisture? Well, if you've ever not had it, I think you'd be grateful I know, but why can't you just be grateful for the rain? Why does it have to be <laughs> oh, yeah, moisture? Yeah. I know, right? We're gonna, hey, <laughs> now we're getting... You're, right, you're derailing full, me here. I'm fully we got on board Tim with this conversation. Okay, if I why can't it a, just be the rain or the just, water? Why does it always have to be moisture? I had a buck for every time I've heard a weather person say, we're going to have a weather event. Yeah. Well, we're going to have rain or snow or wind. Which is it? Precipitation. We're going to have a weather event. Yes, folks. You got some, you're very, I love you dearly. Now, you know that. You know I love you dearly. But you got some quirky sayings. Y-O-U-S. Is there a silent E on the end of U's or not? No, no. It's That's Y-O-U-S. Okay, so I love you dearly. And I don't want anybody to feel like I'm taking shots born out of hatred like a lot of people here. No. My shots are born out of love. Some of your best friends. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, blah, blah. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know some of the finest people I know, I might add. Well, there's a left-handed compliment. No, it's not. Okay. Absolutely. It's right down the middle, 300 yards. Uh, nice. Brooks Kepka and who's the other guy with the hat? Uh, the guy from Fresno. What's his name? The big golfer. Uh, well, DeChambeau. No. DeChambeau. No, yeah, it's DeChambeau's 300 yards. That's a six iron for him. That's what I'm Come talking about, man. He's just <laughs> at the range right now don't, loosening up. Don't insult him. It'd be like 365 yards right down the middle. Now, you, now Bryson's nodding. Okay. Or DJ with that three iron. Man, you should see him just <laughs> smack that thing. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK at 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Tim Lacombe next, jazz radio analyst, former BYU and Utah basketball staffer. We'll talk with him next. Stay with us.